friends. Welcome back to another episode of Burnt Out to Badass. I am your host, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman, colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout, mother of dragons, and all-around sassy pants. Here on Burnt Out to Badass, we are normalizing the conversation of burnout. No more shame and guilt around being in a place of utter depression, brokenness, loneliness, angriness, frustration, all the things. I'm putting out stories of my own and also of others who have been in these places so that we know that you're not alone and that if you're experiencing this or have experienced this, that you are human And I'm so glad that you're on this journey together with us. Well, today I'm so happy to introduce Dr. Seema Desai. Dr. Desai is a certified coach, speaker, and author of her children's book, Connected, Discovering Your Inner Guides. She's the co-president of the Austin chapter of Prothom, a nonprofit organization aimed at creating learning equality for underserved children in India and globally. Though she's not seeing patients these days, she is a general dentist dedicating much of her years in medicine to serving the geriatric population in Austin and the surrounding area. She's the mother of two, and mindful parenting is a passion and core value of hers. She believes that the key to creating effective leadership at work and at home starts with connecting with your emotions and navigating them with compassion. Seema is a good friend of mine. I got to hang out with her in San Antonio at the beginning of 2022. It was a great conference, and it's just my special honor to introduce you to Dr. Seema Desai. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Seema Desai. It's so great to have you here with me today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're going to jump into your burnout story. So the first question I like to ask people is, how long ago, when was it that you figured out, holy shit, I think I'm a little burned out? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was going to talk about a completely different story, but as you and I were kind of chit-chatting before we hit record, another one came to mind that's really stuck with me. And my initial answer is it was kind of a slow burn, you know, like I, and I think maybe that's true for everyone to some degree. We're just not conscious of it, but it was definitely a slow, sneaky burn. And I think, you know, there was definitely a story where We were, I don't know, it was like a few years into me practicing. And, you know, you tell yourself these stories, right? Like, I've just got to get, you know, through all these years of schooling. And once I have that doctor tacked to my name, like it's smooth sailing from here. Or I've just got to get through residency. I've just got to like finish buying that house and getting married, whatever, whatever your I'll be happy when story is. And so I had kind of achieved that. And I was like 26, 27 And we were at the grocery store and I had just finished a day in the clinic. My husband was in fellowship at the time. And so I remember we were at the grocery store and we decided to go to the deli and we needed like two or three things from the deli. So we're there and I asked the lady behind the counter for something. And then another person came up from behind the counter and asked me for something uh, or, you know, if I had been helped and I told her, well, I want actually another slice of whatever 
whatever else that was part of my order. And from behind me, this snarky voice is like, well, that must be nice. And I turned around and there's this lady standing there. And I was like, what? And I'm normally like, I would never hurt a fly. That's not my baseline personality, but I just wheeled. And I was like, what? What must be nice? And she's like, well, just to have everybody at your disposal, like, you know, complete disregard for the fact that there's other people in line. And I just rolled my eyes and I scoffed and I turned around and I was like, whatever, lady. And I mean, my husband's standing there and he's normally the one that people are kind of rattled by, but he was just like frozen. Like, I cannot believe this is happening. And this lady kept picking at me and I kept like clawing at her because I just, I couldn't see that she had perceived that I had cut her off. Right. And I'm just sitting here and I'm imploding publicly with this lady, like caught in this cat fight in the grocery store of all places. And as we left, my husband was like, yeah, you are, if you're carrying all this animosity and discomfort and anger or whatever it is to the point where you can't just leave it and be nice to the stranger behind you, like, let's, let's talk about this. Right. But it was just a story that kind of came to mind for me. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think you're right. It's that like frog in the pot. You know, if it gets hot real quick, we're like, yeah, we're done hopping out. Right. But it's like that slow, insidious warming up that you're just like, okay, I guess I got to do this. And all right, they're piling up, you know, something else on at work. And then family dynamics change. Shit, when I threw kids in the mix, I thought it was going to be just another checkbox on my list of to do's in life. And that, I mean, it really shook our shit up at that point. And yeah. so. I think it's those things that, like, you know, I think you hit it on the head, like, I'll be happy when, and then you get to that point and you're like, where's my happy? Right. Like you're entitled to it and somebody needs to gift it to you in this like blue box with a white ribbon, right? I mean, it's just funny how you said, you mentioned kids and I, I want to highlight for people when you start to see these little signs, and I know it's you're not always conscious of them and you're not always conscious of the gravity of the situation. So I will say that, but if you catch yourself, please, please, please take whatever support you need to course correct because I didn't. And, you know, I kind of let it fester and fester. And then I just instead told myself a, a lie, like, Oh, it's just this job. It's just crap. I mean, that's why I'm not happy. And then we did throw kids into the mix and I did really want kids, but you know, the intention behind the action is more important than the action itself. Right. And so I think for me at that point, it was just a, like, I, I need to do this. And this is what's going to make me happy instead of no, I really want kids. I want to be this mother who's nurturing and loving. And so I think that's kind of where my head was at partially is a reason why I kind of set myself up for experiencing all the like postpartum depression and all the other things that turned out to be a blessing in disguise, but definitely didn't help me write the ship. In the middle of the storm, it does not feel like a blessing. For no, sure. no. Absolutely not. Well, you kind of described like what was kind of going on with you. When would you say like your burnout years were? You know, it's funny. I would say like a couple of years into practicing all the way through, I had stopped practicing to have kids. But, you know, just because you stop working outside the home doesn't mean that you stop working. 
right? And so I think that whole slow insidious insidious burn was years, years, years. So at least five, somewhere around there to where I just imploded at the end. And that was not pretty. (laughs) What do you think those five years looked like from the outside to people who were, you know, observing? Picture perfect. You got it all together. You have the husband. I mean, even from a cultural standpoint, right? Like, yes, I married somebody that I absolutely love, but he's was from like, we're South Asian. I married like the right boy and the right whatever with the right family. And he's a good doctor. And, you know, Indian people, we, that's all we do is we become doctors or engineers or lawyers. And so it's like you, I had the title, I had the husband and he was, he finished fellowship and he passed his boards and, oh, now you're pregnant and all of these things. And I don't, I I remember I was talking about my experience with depression with my mother-in-law and she's of the generation where you just shut it down and don't talk about it. Right. And so it makes it really uncomfortable for her to have this conversation with me when it does come up. And she, I remember her telling me, she was like, I just, I didn't understand. And I couldn't, I kept just worrying because I just couldn't understand why you were so angry and why you were so disconnected. And I didn't know how to talk to you about it because it seemed like you had everything going. And I thought, what, what is lacking that you can't, that you don't have, you know? Yeah. And those are some great words that you said, like how it looked and felt on the inside for you. It felt angry. It felt disconnected. Major depression was there. What else was there that, you know, that it felt like for you? Fatigue fatigue, just the amount of, I remember this one time I went to bed, you know, when you have kids and they wake up every few hours. And so I, and I got so irritated that phrase, um, sleep when the baby sleeps. It, I don't know why it was so triggering for me, but it was. And I, I remember this one time I finally gave in and I, I went to, I, I, I was pretty good about sleeping when I could, but I remember him crying and I was trying to wake up. I really, really was. But it felt like what I would imagine coming out of general anesthesia would feel like. I've never had general anesthesia. But just the whole disconnect between like, I'm awake, I can hear, I can, you know, and I'm even responding in my head. I can't, but I couldn't make the words. My vocal cords wouldn't work. My body would not move. Um, I know there's a term for it, but it's it's leaving me right now. Sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis. Thank you, obviously. <laughs> anyway... Um, yeah, some major sleep paralysis. And it, I just, I can't even describe the fatigue. And, and you know, I remember I talked to my husband about it and he was like, babe, you're just tired because it's easier to deny it, right? He wasn't trying to deny it. He's not a jerk, like, but he's in medicine himself and he missed all these signs. So it was, it was, it's interesting how you can kind of put blinders on when you feel like it's really unsafe and you need those blinders. Oh, yeah. Denial is extremely powerful in the human brain. Yeah. I mean, the thing right in front of us, we can be like, nope, not happening. Not (laughs) happening at all. And I think that's an important thing to recognize and that I see a lot of people that, you know, they're, they're clearly burnt out. They probably have unchecked depression, unchecked anxiety, you know, maybe some PTSD that they're getting triggered from in their past. And it's like, nope, I'm a successful fill in the blank. I've checked all the boxes. Like that is not who I am. 
And I, I think it almost makes it worse, per se, at least from my experience, because then the crash down is even farther and harder uh, to the Yeah, brain. yeah. Well, you mentioned something really interesting there. You know, you, I think you said something about trauma, right? And what came to mind for me was not only our own traumas, but the generational trauma that, you know, up until recently, I don't think we had proof that it literally changes your DNA. So not only when people are under duress, are they experiencing their own, the limitations of their own, you know, lenses, but they're also experiencing the the trauma, anxieties, fears of generations past. And that's so, it's a heavy lift, right? Yeah. To try to lift this weight and you're thinking it's 50 pounds and it's five tons. No wonder, right? Like you're, you're feeling like it's impossible. And I've always wondered too, you know, my experience is from a white female in the Midwest, middle class. Do you think your experience being a Southeast Asian woman with all of the generational stuff still, because I have several friends who are Southeast Asian and I hear them tell their stories about their moms or their mother-in-laws or you know, aunties and cousins. And it sounds so heavy to me. Do you think that played in into your story? I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. I, you know, I definitely, my mom, for sure. Um, You mentioned having anxiety, like, as I think about it now. Yeah, there was real anxiety around like, oh my gosh, I said I'm supposed to feed him at nine. I remember it was like nine, 12, three, like I had it you know, I was married to that clock. That clock was a determinant of, and my mom was like that. I remember growing up, she still is in time poverty mode, which is funny because now that's a lot of what I coach around, but she's, she's kind of there. And I think it's an attempt to establish some sort of control when it feels like there's lack thereof. My grandmothers both were married off at very young ages. I have a 10 year old son and that's the age that my grandmothers were married off at. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Like it's, it's criminal in in my mind, right? Because there was no sex education. There was no anything. And so these girls would be married off, not understanding the concept of what that means. And then my mom was telling me that they would still live at home until they got their period. And as soon as they got their period, they'd be shipped off. So I was like, wait, so they're married at 10 they're constantly being told at 10, you need to do this because your mother-in-law is not going to like it if you don't. And your husband and you're this and your father-in-law. And then nobody's telling them about the hormonal changes and the and the actual period. And one fine day, there's blood in your underwear and you have to be ripped from your home and then go do this very intimate thing with this man that's sometimes five to six years older if not more. I mean, I think my for my grandparents, it was a relatively quote unquote close age gap, but I mean, what? You know, and then they're having these kids and it's four kids, five kids, 10 kids. Of course there's trauma there. Like what the hell, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think like when you finally came out of denial, was it a dark night of the soul moment or was it more of like a eureka type moment for you? It felt like um you know that scene in Finding Nemo where they're down in the depth and there's that anglerfish that has the light? Like that's really what it felt like for me because I remember screaming at my five-month-old baby boy 
he was crying because it was a long story, but anyway, he got woken up by something that was completely not out of my control. He had already been up all night. Like I was solo parenting. Husband was working 36 hour shifts at that point. And I remember just being so exhausted and screaming and crying and he's crying. And of course, then there's the out of body experience of like, you're screaming at a five month old. Like it's not his fault. What kind of crappy mom? Like these are the thoughts I'm having. Not that to be completely clear, like these are what I'm, what I'm thinking is like, you're just such a crappy mom for screaming at a baby. What the heck? And I remember thinking like, I could just stop breathing and it would all fade away and it would feel so good. The quiet, right? But somewhere, like I kind of sat with it and there was a whole experience that happened, but it definitely felt like, no, hang on, hang on. There's so much more on the other side. Just hang on. And I think that's when I sort of, I didn't know where that voice came from. I didn't know why I heard that or what, you know, what that would mean, but I just kept advocating for myself. But I think without that moment, I don't, I don't know what would have happened, honestly. Absolutely. And where did you go from there? Did you contact family or a health professional? Yeah, I wish I had had the courage to to seek mental, like true professional mental health help. But I I just leaned on my husband and I don't think he necessarily could bear my weight. He had his own stuff going on, but he was great. He was great. I, I, and I just kept pushing and pushing. And what I mean by that is he had to, I had to allow him to take care of the baby. Like I could not step away. If I stepped away, then I was telling myself, you're a crappy mom. And I was exclusively breastfeeding at the time. So I'm like, well, what if I leave and he needs to eat? And I mean, what is my husband supposed to do? He doesn't take the bottle. We've tried. He doesn't take it. So, I mean, I think just letting my husband, you know, say like, go to this yoga class, like it's down the street, go to the yoga class. You'll be gone for an hour and a half at most. Like you can feed him and then you just go, I will burp him. I will change him. I will play like, we'll do the whole thing. You'll have an hour and a half, just go. And it was just consistently starting to do that and starting to do that. And then of course, you know, as the baby grows and they sleep better and you, you know, all of that, it, it does get easier in a certain way, but that I think it's just, even if you can't show up for with this big, huge act, even the smallest advocacy for five minutes, for 10 minutes, for, for an hour, whatever it takes, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I was going to say, it's not like you stayed in that low moment. You did do things. And I know like hindsight's always twenty twenty. when you said, you know, I should have, you know, sought professional help. But in a way, you've got to be ready to accept it too. And I think sometimes we're just not there. You know, mine was starting to get coached, honestly, is where I kind of entered into getting myself well. And I know that yoga plays a huge part in your life and was super instrumental. Do you care to go into a little bit more about how yoga brought you back? Yeah, I feel like um, at first it was just movement, right? Like it's so I always say I, I would take a yoga class and every class we would do camel pose, which is a back bend. And they would tell us, well, it brings up a lot of emotion. So some people cry, some people laugh, just depends on where you are. I couldn't even do the pose. Like I could not, it was too, I felt like an elephant was standing on my chest, but I kept at it and I kept at it and I kept at it. And gradually it became less of an escape and more of a, like, I'm really excited to go. And it, it took years to blossom. Coaching also played a role in my, in my healing process, although it was later. 
I think that yoga, you know, became a passion and I just started practicing more and doing it more and enjoying it more and seeing the physical benefits of it. And then I remember I was at work one day and you know, nobody tells you how physically taxing surgical specialties are, <laughs> but yeah, dentistry, it was really taxing. And I would, I was doing geriatrics, which meant that I was standing a lot for my procedures. And so I was putting a lot of unnecessary strain on like my hip and my shoulder. And uh, these patients were not necessarily responsive the way you and I would be able to be while in the chair. So you're making all these accommodations. And I remember like going, oh, you know what? And I just literally, I was scrubbed in blood everywhere. I just put my instruments down and sort of did a, did some yoga without touching anything, just kind of staying, staying sterile by that means. And I remember the pain sort of shifting to where I could finally just refocus at least for that, whatever, to finish the procedure. And I feel like I was a little bit more empathetic towards the patient. And it was this aha moment, right? Of like, oh, if I take care of myself, right? That finally those subconscious lessons of putting yourselves in these unnatural positions in yoga and, and why we do that applied to real life sort of came to be. So years later, you know, I thought, well, why we should all know how to do this, right? This is an important life skill. But yeah, years later, I wanted to get yoga teacher certified. I still am not because it just kept getting shut down through various reasons, but I found coaching. My yoga mentor actually is a coach. And I feel like that's another growth spurt of time where I blossomed. And because I blossomed, my kids, my husband, like our whole dynamic shifted. I mean, I wrote a book on a lot of the concepts that we coach on as coaches for kids ages eight to 80 as a result of all of this. So tremendous, tremendous freedom came from getting a coach, having that accountability, having that mirror, having that friend that was in that sacred trusted space. Absolutely. So walk us through from, you know, the five-month-old anglerfish moment to yeah. going to your first yoga class after speed breastfeeding yeah. <laughs> to now. Show us the way on where you've come. I mean, I think it's just one day at a time, really, just trusting, trusting, and not, I guess not even necessarily knowing where I was going with any of it. I think there was a lot of judgment. I don't I actually just retired my dental license in February. And for until I did, there was a lot of, you know, judgment, I think on a lot of even post post actually doing it, there was still a lot of judgment from people about, you know, like, well, why would you do something and then just stop doing it? Or why would you walk away from something you spent so much time, you know, becoming? And I think the the key to it all is not it's just trusting the process, right? Like not, not necessarily feeling like I had to stay something or do something that was not serving me, right? And that takes a lot of time to really create awareness around what those things might be for each person and what letting go looks like. It's such an individual journey, but I, I will just say yoga, acupuncture, allowing myself rest, having a supportive family in terms of at least, at least my husband. And there were a few close like cousins and things that also were very, very supportive was really helpful. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, you're grateful for your experience with burnout and depression. Can you talk a little bit more about that, especially for the people who are maybe in the middle of that and who gratitude does not feel <laughs> the emotion right now? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's, I always say emotions are like the three-year-old toddler that is, is in the Walmart or the whatever and throwing a tantrum. You know, we tend to want to push away the ones that don't feel good, but the power is in accepting them, right? It's kind of like riding the wave. There's, if you're on the ocean, right? There's not really a, such a thing as a good wave or a bad wave. They're just waves. And I think understanding that is really important that there's nothing wrong with you if you're feeling angry or anxious or unsure or exhausted. Like, but just to recognize that even though it doesn't necessarily feel temporary, it is. It's trusting that it is and it that it's a neutral input. And I know that's a really hard concept for a lot of people, especially when you're in the thick of it. But I feel like had I known that ahead of time, it would have been so helpful, right? Because like, think about how we're programmed as kids. It's like, even as a baby, oh, don't cry, right? Like, oh, don't be mad. Don't, don't get angry. Don't. Well, of course, you're going to feel like you want to avert. So I think I would just, you know, allow space for every emotion. You can also be grateful, happy, sad, angry, all at the same time. It's not, there's not an on off and that's okay. That's one of my mantras is I can hold more than one emotion at a time. You like when you feel like scary sighted or, or irritated, happy, you know, it's, you just have to remind it just, it's be part of being human and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're twisty beings. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Well, you talked a little bit about your book, Connected, Discovering Your Inner Guides. You talked about your coaching. I also know you do a lot of speaking, a lot of work around learning equity. What are you doing right now these days that you could share with our listeners? So many irons in the fire, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just coming off of hosting, co-hosting our um, our gala for our nonprofit. It was extremely, extremely beautiful and powerful and moving to see people coming together for learning equity through, through Breathham USA, but also, uh, you know, the book is still going and I'm running a masterclass for moms and, you know, helping them sort of create community, building strength in the self and community and creating that ability for us. We all have the ability to thrive and create that next level of, you know, success. And it's been so amazing seeing these women come together. I think what's so funny is it's like, these are women from different specialties. This this particular masterclass is just is for, I held it just for those in medicine. And it was really funny because they're like, you too, you too. Even though they had so many similarities from practices, they had told themselves like, oh, I'm on this island and it's just me. So it's been really powerful to kind of help them find that sense of community and help them learn, no, I'm not alone. So yeah, just coaching, speaking, all of the things, the momming and the Thanksgiving prep and all these things that are happening. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Seema, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story and opening up your heart and giving us a glimmer inside because I think there's so much power whenever whenever we can hear other people's stories and also in the telling as well. So the badass in me honors the badass in you. Namaste.
friend. Thanks for hanging with me here on Burnt Out to Badass. Are you ready to get more than what the podcast has? Well, I want to tell you, I have an online course, same name, Burnt Out to Badass with Dr. Aaron Wiseman, that you can do all on your own. I love it because you learn all the important shit that they didn't teach us in graduate school how to rest and recover properly, harnessing your perfectionism and using it as a superpower, eliminating jealousy, insecurity, and the grass is always greener mentality. You get help with conquering imposter syndrome, establishing clear boundaries and sticking to them, and overcoming your overwhelm. It's 12 jam-packed modules of this online course that you can move through at your own pace and can refer back to as much as you want to. The other great thing is, is you'll join the Badass Slack group, and I will be in my DMs for any question, comments, or chitty chat. Can't wait to see you in there. The Badass in Me honors the Badass in You. If you want to hear more from Dr. Shima, you can go head over to her website. It's D-R-S-E-E-M-A-D-E-S-A-I, DrSimaDesai.com. You can read about her story. And also, there's a really great article under her parenting section, which I think you should look into. It's called A Look into Undiagnosed Postpartum Depression. I also love hanging out with her on Instagram, so you can find her Instagram handle in the show notes. And of course, check out her book. It's fabulous. Connected, discovering your inner guides. All right, guys, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I want to remind you that Burnt Out to Badass is for everyone. If you need more support in your life, come over to the Aaron Wiseman Badass Slack channel. It's where it's happening, not on Facebook, friends. <laughs> be more than happy to drop a message to you or slide into my DMs. That would be wonderful. Okay, there. Well, remember, the badass in me honors the badass in you. <laughs>